Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Well, the U.S. stock market finished out this holiday-shortened week on an up note with the Dow Jones up just over 100 points. It had been down, uh, I don't think it was quite 100, maybe 60 or 70-ish points on the lows. But it was a good week uh, for U.S. stocks up about 2%, which despite the fact that it was a four-day week, I think this was the best week the markets had since March. The dollar was generally softer on the week. In fact, softer on the day. The euro ended the week back above and solidly above uh, 113. Gold was under pressure all of the day. Most of the day, it was down 10, 12 bucks near the lows, but it closed only off about um, three bucks. But holding on to 1100, gold stocks earlier this morning were at the pretty much the lows that I've seen them of this uh, this cycle. But then they had a very sharp reversal. Gold stocks as a group finished much stronger on the day. So this could have been some kind of technical uh, reversal for those gold stocks. What I think the markets are looking forward to is no rate hike at the September meeting coming up. And I think the economic data that's been coming out is supporting the Fed is not going to move in September argument, although I don't see how that even leaves the door open for October or, or December. But pretty much everybody who thinks the Fed is going to wait you know, or not move in September is pretty sure that they're going to move in October or December. The one piece of bad economic news that came out today was the consumer sentiment numbers, uh, Michigan consumer sentiment numbers, And I think this might have been the catalyst to turn the market because the market was down prior to the release of consumer sentiment. They were looking for 91, which is slightly below the 91.9 we got last month. Instead, we got 85.7. Huge miss. In fact, this is the biggest miss in the history of uh, the index where people were expecting one number and they got a number, you know, way below what they had been expecting. This is the lowest 
uh, number for Michigan consumer sentiment in a year. So again, consumers are getting a little bit more worried. And if the Fed raises interest rates, well, I guess they're going to have even more to worry about. You would think that the Fed would want to be raising rates into increasing consumer confidence, not decreasing consumer confidence. But the the bigger number that came out that really caught my attention came out yesterday, and that was the wholesale trade number. And they were looking for inventories to rise 0.3%, right? Again, and that would be positive for GDP, although one of the reasons inventories are rising is because people aren't buying. But instead of inventories going up by 0.3, they declined by 0.1. So this is going to notch a little off of third quarter GDP. But more importantly, inventories went down 0.1, but sales went down by 0.3. So the sales fell by more than the inventory, which means the inventory to sales ratio rose again. And it is right now at the highest level, 1.3. This is the highest it's been since the 2008 financial crisis. If you want to take the financial crisis out, the only other time... Uh, in the last 15 years, that the inventory to sales ratio was this high was during the recession of 2001. So you have an inventory to sales ratio at a level that has only existed twice in the last 15 years, and both of those times the U.S. economy was in recession. And obviously that means we're probably close to another recession, if not already in one now. But, you know, another interesting chart, which I saw up on the Zero Hedge website that reported on this, and I I linked this on my my Facebook page as well, was inventory to sales in the auto sector. And this really fits in with my last podcast where I spoke about the automobile bubble. And the inventory to sales ratio in autos is pretty good evidence that that bubble has burst. Right, Because that level, the inventory of sales level, has now risen to 1.73. That is the highest inventory to sales ratio since 2009, mid-2009, kind of the tail end of the Great Recession. But all during that Great Recession, or for most of it, the inventory to sales ratio was higher. But if you take out that recession and go back to the last recession of 2001, Today's inventory to sales ratio is higher than it was. We have more unsold cars on dealer showrooms now than we did during the recession of 2001. In fact, the the chart on Zero Hedge, you know, goes back to to this one goes back to 2000 and the only time in this chart that the inventory to sales ratio is higher than it is today was during Uh, the 2008-2009 financial crisis, Great Recession. So this is a good sign that this automobile bubble is bursting or maybe has already burst. Because what does this mean? Again, if, if if the car dealers have reached their saturation point, if they can't sell any more cars, that's it. That means they're not going to be producing as many cars, which means the parts companies aren't going to be there. Uh, All this stuff starts to unwind. And this, supposedly, the week before the Fed is maybe, maybe not going to raise interest rates. And, of course, 
if the Fed really was going to raise interest rates next week, wouldn't they just be upfront about it? Wouldn't the markets already know that? The fact that there's so much uncertainty around a rate hike, which at some point, you know, not too long ago, it was a sure thing, right? The economists were 90% or 95%. Oh, yeah, they're going to move in September. And now here we are in September, and it's still a coin toss whether or not they're going to move or not. Uh, I think the official odds, though, are less than 50-50, but I think it's more than 50-50 that the Fed will move sometime between now and the end of the year. But again, if they don't move in September, why would they move in October? It's not like things are going to be much different. And if they don't move in October, well, why do December? In fact, you know, they're, <laughs> you know, why, why? A lot of people think that they, if they don't go in October, they won't go in December for other reasons. But if they don't do it this year, then, you know, why are they going to do it during an election year? And again, the longer they wait to raise rates, the weaker the economy is likely to be when they raise them, which means the less likely they are to do it. Now, I read another article today that said, look, you know, even the even if raising interest rates will speed up the process of the U.S. economy going into recession, that the Fed should raise interest rates anyway because they don't want to get trapped at the zero bound when the recession starts. And I think that's a ridiculous argument because it's not like the Fed is going to put much distance between zero and wherever they raise them. I mean, if the Fed raises interest rates for 25 basis points, and then we go into recession. I mean, is the Fed really in a better position to fight that recession than if rates had stayed at zero? Right. I mean, what is a 25 basis point reduction in rates going to do? That's not going to provide any kind of stimulus. So the Fed is going to have to do QE4 regardless, even if they got interest rates up to a half a percent and then the next recession started. That's not a lot of ammunition. Normally, when there's a recession, the Fed's up at 5 percent. They got a long way to reduce interest rates, right? Going from 5% to zero is a much bigger Keynesian stimulus than going from a half a percent to zero. See, I think if they raise rates and then have to go to zero, they look like fools, right? It looks like they thought the economy was strong enough to raise rates, but they were wrong. Wouldn't it be better for them to keep rates at zero? Then if they have to launch QE4, at least they can say, you see, we were smart. We waited. We weren't sure. We weren't sure if the medicine really stuck. And, and now we realize that it didn't, it didn't take. We need a little bit of a bigger dose because there were some unexpected headwinds coming from Asia or Europe that we didn't anticipate. And we were smart to stay at zero. We just need a booster shot of QE. And, you know, then we'll do liftoff, right? They look smarter if they do that to the extent that anybody buys it, than if they raise interest rates and then have to reduce them again. And of course, the other risk of raising rates and having to reduce them is it gets people thinking, wait, the Fed raised interest rates slightly and we're back in recession. And now they cut them. People will start to think, wait a minute, maybe we can never raise interest rates. Because if the minute we raise interest rates, the recovery is aborted and we're back in recession and we have to cut them, then we can never raise them because the whole driving force behind the dollar rally is that the Fed is going to be going on a tightening cycle, right? The dollar isn't rallying because they people think the Fed is going to go from zero to 0.25. I mean, that's not the reason for this huge rally. It's because they think 0.25 is the first step in a long journey. That's going to take rates up to 2%, 3%, higher than that in the long run. If people start to realize, wait a minute, if the Fed ever raises rates, 
they pricked the bubble and now they got to cut them again. And so no rate hike is sustainable that even though rates go up slightly, they don't stay up. They come right back down. Then that exposes the myth. And now people realize that, okay, it doesn't matter if the Fed raises rates. Rate hikes don't matter if they can't stick, if they're not going to stay up. I mean, a short-term boost before you go right back to zero, that's no reason to buy the dollar. And that gives people a reason to sell the dollar. And all this thing unravels. All the confidence in the Fed is based on the Fed claiming that they're going to raise rates because raising rates is the proof that their stimulus worked because it was a temporary crutch and now we don't need it anymore, right? Taking away the crutch is proof that the economy is now healed. It can walk on its own two feet. But if the Fed takes away that crutch and the economy collapses, then they prove what I said, that we've got a quadrupletic economy and it's rolling around in a QE and 0% interest rate wheelchair. And it's permanently, you know, in that chair. It can never come out of it. It has no ability to walk. The Fed severed that, the legs. There's nothing left, the, you know, prosthetics or whatever it is. That's what I've been saying. But nobody realizes that as long as the Fed is able to bluff, as long as the Fed is able to pretend that the, they can raise interest rates, then, you know, everybody can pretend that what the Fed did work. But the minute they raise interest rates and prove that the economy can't withstand the higher rates, then, then they expose everything. And that's why they haven't wanted to do it. That's why they keep postponing it. They're waiting for an excuse. They're looking for an excuse and they're grasping for straws. And they certainly have plenty now. It could be the global stock market uncertainty. It can be that the prices prices aren't rising. You know, we got the producer prices that came out today. I mean, they were a little bit hotter than Wall Street had been expecting in that the overall decline year over year was not quite as much as what Wall Street had expected. But still, the Fed could point to these inflation numbers, supposed measures of inflation, producer prices, consumer prices, and they can say, well, it's below our 2% target. So that could be another excuse that they use not to raise interest rates. And of course, they've got the IMF and the World Bank and everybody begging them not to raise rates. You got the, uh, you know, fed up people, Black Lives Matter. I mean, everybody is saying, please, please don't raise rates, don't raise rates. So look, you know, the, the Fed has plenty of excuses, plenty of reasons to now say, okay, you know, we're not raising rates. You guys talked us out of it. There's too much uncertainty. Inflation is still low. We're going to err on the side of keeping them lower. And then what they're going to say is, look, if we're wrong, we can always speed up, right? If it turns out that we should have raised rates, well, we can always catch up, right? That's what they want to pretend, that they've got this under control. Hey, if we have to raise a little bit more aggressively because we waited a little bit too long, we'll just do that. No way. Because again, if they realize they waited too long, which of course they did, I mean, they wait. I mean, it's been, it's already wait. That, that ship has sailed a long time ago. In fact, whenever they raised rates, had they raised them two or three years ago, right, it would have been a problem. Whenever it's like, you know, well, the, the, uh, the airplane movie, and I, I picked a bad time to stop, start, you know, stop sniffing glue or whatever he was saying. I mean, any time they pick is a bad time to stop doing this drug because the problem was they started. They never should have lowered rates to, to zero in the first place. That was their problem. Because the minute they did that, they created a bigger problem, which is how to raise them back. Right? I said, it's easy to start a bad habit. Start smoking. No problem. Pick up smoking. Start taking drugs. That's the easy part. It's kicking the habit. That's the hard part. I mean, you don't have centers or classes to teach people how to start smoking. You pick that up easy. It's all this stuff is designed to help you quit. 
right? Because that's the hard part. You know, the nicotine gum or, you know, the smokeless cigarettes. I mean, it's, it's hard to quit the habit. It's easy to start the habit, right? That's, so once the Fed lowered interest rates to zero, that is the easy part. But once you start, you can't stop. That's why I called it the Monetary Roach Motel from day one. I said, you are, the Fed has taken us down the wrong path because there is no exit strategy. They always pretended they have an exit strategy. I always said, there, there's no exit strategy. Exit is impossible. That's why the balance sheet hasn't shrunk at all. That's why interest rates are still at zero because there's no way out. The Fed knows that we're seven years in and we're about to go through another recession. But what's really amazing about this whole thing is that Nobody could see this. I mean, how obvious does something have to be? And how can people think that interest rates can stay this low for this long and there not be lots of problems as a result, right? Again, what causes the booms and busts are the misallocations of resources, the mistakes that are made when interest rates are artificially low. Those mistakes are corrected when interest rates go up. Well, the lower rates are, and the longer they remain that way, the more screwed up the economy gets, which means the bigger the bust that is required to fix it. Well, we've never had a boom this big as far as you know money being this cheap for this long. So the mistakes that we made in the last seven years dwarf any of the mistakes that gave way to the 2008 financial crisis. That is why the Fed has been so reluctant to raise rates. And that is why if they raise them, it's going to be just the tiniest bit. But because of that, the next economic downturn is going to be so much greater because, again, either the Fed is going to be at zero when the next recession starts or it's going to be maybe at 25 basis points. But either way, it's got nothing in its quiver, no arrows of any significance. It has to go immediately to QE, QE4. And it's going to have to be enormous because you're not going to have the one-two punch of rate cuts and QE. We're going to have to rely 100% on QE. And in fact, I think it's going to be bigger than that because I think they're going to roll out the big guns as far as uh, fiscal stimulus, especially if the recession starts in 2016, which is an election year, which is an open presidential cycle. There's no incumbent. So the Democrats, the Republicans are all going to be eyeing that prize of the White House and Congress is going to be there wanting uh, to do something to stimulate the economy so we could get a double barrel of uh, QE. Because not only might we need all this money printing just, you know, for the Fed to launch its bond buying program, but also to buy up all the extra bonds because of the bigger deficits that are going to result from the Keynesian stimulus package. Plus, also, we don't forget about the fact that the Chinese and the Saudis and the Brazilians and the Russians and everybody else is just starting to unload their U.S. treasuries. And again, you're talking about the tip of an enormous iceberg. These foreign central banks for years and years were accumulating trillions of dollars in reserves to keep their currencies from rising. Well, now their currencies have just tanked. So they don't need all these treasuries, especially if the Fed is theoretically going to raise rates. That means treasury prices are going to go down. Why not sell yours now? Why fight the Fed? Get rid of your treasuries, especially if you can do so at a profit, because if you're an emerging market central bank, and you bought treasuries, now in your local currency, you have a big profit on those treasuries because your currency has dropped. Sell those treasuries, buy back your own currency, book a profit, and get out of Dodge. 
This is going to be happening, especially when they people start to realize that the dollar has peaked and a new bear market has begun. And of course, what is the Federal Reserve going to do? Uh, it's going to have to not only print a bunch of money to stimulate the U.S. economy and monetize growing U.S. budget deficits that result from another Keynesian stimulus package, but they're going to have to monetize all the treasuries that are being sold by foreign central banks all around the world, which is, again, why I've said that QE4 is going to be the biggest monetary mistake the Fed has ever made. It's going to be bigger than QE1, 2, and 3 combined. And the question is, when are people going to figure this out? When is the dialogue going to turn from when is the Fed going to hike rates to how big is the next stimulus package going to be and how soon is it going to be here? Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They are all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is. Truth in Media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with TruthinMedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, TruthinMedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make truthinmedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks the truth to power. It's also where you can tune into The Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit truthinmedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access the Truth in Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed.